Welcome to the Kona Edge, where you'll discover what the best triathletes in the world do to give them the edge. Welcome on to this edition of the Kona Edge. If you're listening to the day that we publish it, it is a Wednesday and it is the last day of May, the 31st of May. And it's a pretty big day here in South Africa as far as endurance sports goes. Because uh, if you've listened to this podcast for any stretch of time, you would have heard me talking uh, at length to quite a few of our guests about uh, an ultra marathon called the Comrades Marathon. And uh, it is the largest ultra marathon in the world, biggest field, I think, uh, once again this year, uh, close on 18,000 entries. Uh, they'll probably get 14 or 15,000 people on the start line, which is massive. It's 56 miles, 86 kilometers. And it is brutal. You've got 12 hours from start to finish. It's gun to gun. So uh, none of this mat to mat nonsense. <laughs> you you have to finish within the time. And uh, it's pretty tough. You climb some mountains. Let me tell you, it is a, a very, very brutal race, but an incredible experience. And uh, a race that's that's played a big part in, in my sort of athletic endeavors and probably one of the races that got me, or if not the race that got me into uh, eventually into this water triathlon. So uh, it's happening this coming Sunday, the 4th of June. And if uh, you're running, I know we've got quite a few people who listen to uh, the, the Comrade stuff we do on a podcast and have uh, sort of spilled over onto this podcast. So best of luck. I hope you have a, a great run. It's the first time in eight years I'm not going to be in Durban uh, for the race. So I'm suffering uh, with a big case of phone. I can tell you that much, but I'll be tracking it. I've uh, got lots of friends running once again this year, and uh, I'll be watching it. Uh, one of the cool things here in South Africa is our national broadcaster shows it from start to finish on television. So I'll be uh, glued to my TV. I've got no doubt I'll be on the couch bright and early, and I'll be there till the final gun goes at half past five on Sunday afternoon as well. It's pretty special. If you don't know much about Comrades, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pop two video clips uh, in the show notes to this episode of The Kona Edge. Uh, just head over to the website and check them out because uh, it is well worth the watch. Uh, the one is probably my favorite clip about Comrades. There's, there's lots of them, but this one is my favorite. I think it embodies pretty much everything the race is about, what I love about it. And then the second clip is just uh, a little five-minute that I put together back in 2010 uh, about my journey and how I got into uh, running the Comrades. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool story too, if I, if I say so myself. And uh, we've, we've had some great feedback on that video. It's been viewed a good few thousand times. And, uh, yeah, every year lots of people, lots of emails come through in the build-up to Comrades because people use it for, for sort of motivation and inspiration to get them through race day. So uh, I've put both those videos in the show notes to this episode. And speaking of this episode, we head to uh, the States to catch up with our guest today and a pretty cool story. We'll be chatting to James Burke, who is uh, from Wisconsin, and uh, he's got a pretty cool Ironman background as well. He's a, he's a racing snake, I can tell you that much, uh, with a, a PB of sub nine hours for an Ironman. Yep, sub nine. Uh, and he's uh, he raced a 904 in Kona last year for a podium spot. So uh, he's no slouch, and uh, he's got a pretty cool story to share. And that's coming up next. It's time for the Coach's Corner and today's coach in the spotlight is Lindsay Parry with a passion for high-performance sport. Lindsay's one of South Africa's most widely recognized coaches, the high-performance coach for Triathlon South Africa for many years, leading the team to the London and Rio Olympic Games where Team South Africa won the bronze in 2016. Lindsay has coached both triathletes and runners onto podiums of some of the world's most illustrious races, including the silver medal at the Edinburgh Commonwealth 
Games and uh, the past two ladies winners of the Comrades Marathon in South Africa. Lindsay has a unique ability to understand what it takes to succeed at any level and thrives on coaching, motivating and inspiring others to do the same. Lindsay's one-on-one coaching services are massively in demand. And if you'd like to find out more about Coach Perry, the website to get to is coachperry.com or you can get over to theconeedge.com forward slash coaching. All the details are there. If you're a coach and you'd like to get featured here in the Coach's Corner, all you have to do is head over to theconeedge.com forward slash coaching. Scroll down to the bottom of the page. The details are there. It's a great pleasure to welcome James back onto the podcast. James, welcome onto the Cone Edge. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. James, I'm super excited to, to chat about uh, your sort of triathlon career and, and some of your achievements because you've had a, a couple of biggies. You, you raced on the Big Island in, in 2016 and, and got a podium, finishing fourth, uh, I think. The, the sport of triathlon, has it, has it, have you been around it long? I mean, where, where did your journey into the sport start? Yeah, I, uh, I, I actually only got really into triathlon probably five years ago. Um, and prior to that, I was a swimmer and a runner growing up. And uh, after university, I took some time off and uh, started a family. And and um, five years ago, stumbled upon an Ironman race here in Wisconsin at the Ironman Wisconsin and fell in love with it and decided I needed to try it and so signed up. And then the next year I did it and I've been hooked ever since. What, was that your first sort of experience in, in triathlon was signing up for an Ironman? Yeah, well, I had done some, some shorter distance races growing up when I was um, – still in grade school but yeah for all intents and purposes i had taken uh probably almost 10 years off from this that when i stopped uh swimming collegiately at university to uh to doing my first ironman so i had to um i had to learn how to train all over again <laughs> that's incredible what was it that that sort of drew you in and and and, and got you fired up again uh i i tell you i think i was i was missing a, a competitive aspect of, of my life and growing up in sports. Um, I, I had always, you know, been competitive and I am from a family of, uh, I have, uh, three brothers and a sister. So a large family where we were all competitive amongst each other. And, and I think, uh, I think I missed that. And then, you know, I had always had it in the back of my mind that Ironman was this crazy event that I just needed to see if I could do one day. And, and timing was never perfect. And, and, you know, quite honestly, it usually never is, but, um, but went and watched the race and got super inspired and, and decided to to register and and I uh, got and went from there. I guess that's one of the cool things about triathlon as well is is that competitiveness amongst the age groups and 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 with the age group uh, that sort of scene. I mean, there are many sports and and I think maybe marathon running around Boston Marathon you you do have that to an extent. But but triathlon's truly unique in that sense, isn't it? Yeah, I, absolutely. And and you know, for me personally it's, it's changed in the five years since I've been doing the sport where, you know, when I started, I wasn't really competitive or I didn't at least view my competitors as my competitors. It was more internal of, can I do this event and, and what's it going to be like when I'm doing a marathon after a 112 mile bike and, you know, kind of a lot of the same thoughts that, that most Ironmen and women have. Um, and then as you get to do it more and more, you get to learn, you know, who are the competitive people in your age group and, and yeah, it's fun. And, and as I learn and, and meet others, you, you realize that, you know, it's not just the 20 to 25 year olds who are competitive. It's the, it's the 50 to 55 year olds that are just as competitive and looking at age group start lists and et cetera. So um, it's, it's really neat to be around. 
Yeah, the, the crazy thing is those the the old age groups are, are probably more competitive than the the sort of uh, twenty to twenty fives or the twenty five to thirties. It, uh, it's almost uh, people get to to a stage in their life where they they might have uh, a bit more resources, so they, they they've made some money in their life and they they've got a bit of spare not necessarily spare time, but they they can afford to take some time off work. They're not necessarily building a career, and uh, I find a lot of people only coming into the sport at that stage, and they come from pretty competitive sporting backgrounds, and uh, and that's when it really starts hotting up in the age group ranks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible. You look at, um, you know, even in Kona, some of the most competitive age groups are, are, you know, 40 plus and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to that. So I, I, I hope that I'm going to be able to, you know, bang heads with those guys as well. I always joke, I'm going to outlive everyone in my age group, and that's my my Kona strategy. But the <laughs> the way we're going, I'm going to have to live until I'm 90, I'm afraid, uh, because there's some incredible, incredible guys just uh, racing on that big island. But let, let's take a step back, and you talk about growing up in a house with, with uh, a good few siblings. It, it must have been uh, interesting times. Where, where do you fit in? I mean, are you youngest in the middle, eldest? How, do, how does it work in, in your family? Yeah, so I'm the I'm the fourth of five. Uh, so my sister's the oldest, and then there's uh there's there's four boys, and uh, we we grew up um, very loving family. We 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 still uh, spend a lot of time together. In fact, uh, I have a brother and a sister that live here in town, and then the other two are in uh, in Seattle, Wisconsin, or Washington. So we get out there quite regularly to to visit them. But um, you know, we were we were we were the the group that was rambunctious, and and my parents made a decision very early on that. Uh, to to burn off some energy, they're gonna all the all the kids are gonna do sports and and th- we got to choose what we did. But you know the reality is when you're when you're the fourth in line, you're kind of following your brothers and sisters. So um, pretty much everyone was a was a swimmer and a runner of some form. And then uh, you know there were other sports that were kind of mixed in there. But um, yeah, it was it, it, it was fun growing up, and it still is fun. And, and now that we're all getting older and having kids, then you know we're kind of passing it to the next generation. You've obviously the genes must be good because you don't get to do Ironman times the way you do them if if you don't have good genes. Obviously, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Uh, were you the only one who, who was blessed with ability, or are your siblings pretty decent in in whatever sphere they got in, into as well? No, I would I would say they're all they're all talented in uh, in, in one sport or another. Um, they're all they're all not crazy enough to do Ironman like I am, but uh, but they all come and cheer when uh, when we do go to races together. But um, yeah. Uh, youngest brother was an outstanding runner. Uh, older brother was a really good hockey player, and then uh, older brother and sister were both good runners and swimmers. So, um, we all we all did we all did similar sports, and we all had um, you know somewhat success. In- James, as as far as coming into the sport of triathlon with a, a swimming and running background, and particularly a competitive one, uh, I don't want to say it's an advantage because I think everyone comes with their own skill sets and, and takes benefit out of it. But uh, it it is a big plus coming from those two sports into the sport of of triathlon. Yeah, I, th- I think so, and I I think really um, to have a swimming background is 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 nice from my perspective in that I, I don't have to spend as much time in a pool trying to learn technique and, and, um, things like that. So I'm, I'm able to focus more of my training sessions around, uh, biking and running, whereas I'm, I'm not trying to learn to swim. So I, I do think it's an advantage. And then, you know, certainly the aerobic capacity that you build through years and years of, uh, age group swimming and running, uh, certainly helps as well. As far as what, what you think your secret weapon is when it when it comes to triathlon what do, what do you think your your unfair advantage is 
I used to say it was the swim, but I, I, I think the reality is, is, you know, if I look at, um, at least my splits compared to, you know, the, my other competitors and the people that I, that I, um, compete and train against, I, I think probably my secret is that I'm very consistent across all three disciplines. I, I've, I've spent a lot of time learning how to bike and becoming a better biker and by no sense am I a great biker, but I'm proficient enough that I can kind of hang my, uh, hold my own. And, uh, the running gets a little harder as I get older cause I get little niggles and, and, uh, and injuries. But, um, so I, I would say that I'm, I'm fairly consistent across all three. And, uh, and the nice thing about being a, a decent swimmer is, you know, you, you get out early and so you don't have the, the congestion that a lot of the other races do with, um, you know, kind of middle of the pack swimmers where, uh, then the bike is, is a little more stressful because you're, you're dealing with, you know, drafts and packs and, and trying to get around people. You've had a couple of incredible performances and, and I'm looking as, as you're speaking, I'm looking at your, your Kona 2016 results, a, a 904.49 overall. I mean, you, you're literally four minutes away from, from the top spot on that podium and, and over the length of an Ironman, four minutes is, is absolutely nothing. So, I mean, that, that's a great performance. Would you rate that up there as some of your best? What, what, what would you say personally is, is the highlights of your triathlon career so far? Yeah, I, I, it's, it's hard for me to compare the, the first one, not that because it was my best race or my fastest time, but, um, just the experience and the, and the unknown and, and the accomplishment, a sense of accomplishment to complete it. So Ironman Wisconsin in 2013 was certainly special, but, uh, I went to Kona in 2014 and then, uh, returned in 2016. Um, and both of those races were pretty consistent. In fact, my time was only uh, a couple minutes faster. I think the second time in 2016, but I was, I was, you know, specific to 2016 Kona. I was, uh, I was very pleased with, with my swim and my bike. I, I biked, uh, more aggressive than I had in the past. And so that was, um, that was encouraging. And, uh, you know, my run was okay, but you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the run at the end of a marathon and then throwing the Kona heat. James as as far as getting better over time. I mean, that's one thing that I've picked up quite a bit here on the Kona edge is, is consistency is, is king. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you do it consistently, I think is, is the most important factor and, and getting better over time comes with that consistency. Having two Kona performances so close together, were you, were you disappointed? You, you mentioned the, the, you probably would have preferred a, a better run. Your bike was great, but were you disappointed you didn't go much faster in, in 2016 than you did in, in 2014? I, I think with, with the conditions that led up to, to 2016, I, the easy answer would be to say, yeah, I was, I was disappointed. But the reality was, is that, that that was the best I had on the day. I, I had some running injuries earlier in the year that, that kind of limited my run training. So I, I knew going into Kona, I was a little probably undertrained on the, on the run, but you know, the reality is, is that, um, that, that, that race and that Island and the conditions make it unlike anything else. And, and probably my best race was Ironman Louisville the, the year before, uh, certainly from a time perspective, but, uh, the reality is, is that, um, you know, you, you really can't control the time so much as, as the conditions and racing the, the competition, because, you know, uh, a windy day on Kona versus a non, well, I think it's always windy on Kona, but, um, you know, the wind can make such a big difference. So I try not to get too hung up on time. Uh, certainly would have liked to have broken nine, but, um, you know, you, you can only do what you can do on the day. So I, I was, I, I walked away pleased. I was, I was happy. 
You mentioned that, and I asked you the the your, your sort of the highlight and, and and your best performance, and and you said that the one that sticks out was the the first Iron Man. But uh, you you sort of just in in passing mentioned Louisville, and uh, that was very fast. Uh, I mean, uh, an eight forty eight, I think it was, just just shy of eight forty nine. Uh, a win in Louisville, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, that was that was neat. It was a neat race. So the eight forty eight. I'll give a little bit of asterisk just because it's a, uh, it's a downriver swim. So the swim was really fast, but, uh, take it, the, take it. The, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, uh, I was pleased. I, I really, I really wanted to, to race well. And I, I, that was a great race. In fact, it was the, it was the, the best run that I've ever had and uh most enjoyable race. And, you know, to, to cross the finish line, I, I never really went into it thinking that, you know, I, I could have won now, um, you know, someone, some age grouper had to win because there was a no pro race, mm. but, um, to cross the finish line first was really neat. And it was, uh, it was a bit surreal. And, and so that was, that's a, that's a memory I'll have for a long time for sure. It must be a pretty cool experience. You talk about a non-pro race, only age groupers. And, and as an age grouper, you, you could win your age group at a race where there are pros and you don't get that experience of, of, of crossing the finish line first. That, that must be pretty special. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's neat. And I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a dynamic that's changed over time because obviously before they, there was always a pro uh, contingent, but um, to, to have races that are non-pro, I know there, you know, there was some concern about, is it going to take away some of the, the, the cachet of, of that particular race. But the reality is, is the majority of people that are doing this are are not doing it because pros are doing it. They're doing it because of a a personal accomplishment that they're, that they're pursuing or, or other reasons. And to, to have an age grouper in the real and you know at the end of the day the the, the point the end of the age group to to go pro all you have to do is win a race and so um the 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 mix between um kind of the mid-level pros and the and the top age groupers is that that line's pretty blurred and so you know you got some fast guys that are going um pretty quick that could that could easily turn pro in, in a future in a future time I mean, eight forty-eight. I, I can't wrap my head around that. But then you look at this past weekend at the the Ironman uh, South American Championships. Tim Don uh, breaking the world record a, a seven forty. I mean, that's an hour quicker, more than an hour quicker than you did in Louisville. I, I mean, for me, I can't even think about that. But for you, I mean, that that that's crazy fast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and it's all a matter of perspective, right? I mean, there's there's people that would look at an eight forty-eight and say oh, that's unbelievable, but then. When you do an 848, you look at you know Tim Don who does a 740, and you say, okay, that's unbelievable. So um, certainly it, it it's a it's a vantage point in a matter of perspective, but um, the reality is is that you know there's the the times are only getting quicker, and the trainings you know people are becoming so specialized, and and just the level of of talent is just unbelievable, and it's just getting deeper and deeper. It seems. And I mean, if you look at the the sort of athletes that are coming through from from the ITU sort of ranks, if you think of the Brownleys and and Javier Gomez who who have now started sort of dipping their toes in in seventy point threes, and we've seen what's happened early early part of the season so far this year as well. You talk about those times going faster. How much faster do you think uh, the the sort of top guys can go? Uh, that's a great question. I I, <clears throat> I certainly think that we will see um, seven thirty five get broken. Um, and that, I think that's the, the, the time that Ferdano did in, in challenge Roth, H- how much faster, I, I don't know, but I, I, I could easily see another 10 minutes, um, perhaps the, the, it, it's hard to fathom how much faster just because, you know, you look at the times that they're doing and they're running, you know, low two forties 
uh, and and you know how much faster can you get off of that plus put a bike in a, in a swim in front of it but um I, as a fan I, i'm i'm ecstatic and i'm really excited to see what what's going to happen over the next few years yeah i know there's been lots of talk as well over the last uh, day or so as we're recording this with regards to the distances and uh sort of getting that right that that is obviously a concern as well and it's one thing calling a uh, a time a, an ironman world record but yeah i mean there's a whole bunch of things you need to to look at that and, and like you said with louisville uh it's a downriver swim so you you can never really get the conditions exactly the same on every single course but at the end of the day it's uh, it is what it is and 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 740 still still absolutely incredible James, let's talk about life around triathlon. And, and you mentioned you've got a family yourself uh, and sort of balancing training and what you need to do to, to race at the top level as an age grouper and uh, sort of keeping the lights on at home and, and keeping things ticking the way they, they should be ticking over. How do you get that balance right? Uh, so I, I, I would say it's a, it's a journey. Um, I've, I've certainly changed you know, my training and the time commitment that I have to, to contribute to training uh, for triathlon as my family's grown. So I'm, I'm married and have three children and they're all young, all under the age of eight. But as they get older, they get more active and they get more involved in sports and extracurricular activities. And so I, I would say it's, it's constantly a balance. I'm, I'm very time efficient. And so I, uh, I, I have an idea of what I want to accomplish throughout the course of the week from a training perspective. And then, um, there's a lot of uh, changes and alterations made to my schedule based on time and, and when I can fit uh, maybe a run in here or, or a swim in there. So, I've never had anybody use the, the term time efficient on the podcast before. T- tell, me, yeah. tell me more about being time efficient and, and what that means. Yeah, so this is, this is something I've learned over the last two years. So my, um, our daughter was born, she'll be two in, uh, in, on July 3rd. And so when she came along, I was doing that, I would say probably 90% of my bike rides outside. And uh, I invested at that time in an indoor trainer and with uh, the software that's come along with uh, indoor training is just incredible. And so I would say I've flipped that from about 90% outdoor to 90% indoor, which allows me to ride early in the morning and late at night when it, when it might not be light out and, uh, and I can get up, get out of the bed and get on the trainer in, in 10 minutes. Whereas, you know, getting all kitted up and geared up might take me 20. And so that's what I, that's what I talk about from a time efficiency perspective is, is, uh, the sneaking in workouts as quickly as possible. I always have a gym bag in my, in my car and a swim bag in my car. Uh, if I have a 45 minute window where I can, uh, where I could get a, a workout in. I think it's important also, as much as you, you've got what you want to do in the week, you need to be flexible. Like you say, you, you've got the gym bag in, in the car, and uh, if something does sort of open up, you, you've got to be able to take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think that that's, that's probably the best perspective that I have on the sport is that um, at the end of the day, I'm doing this because I, I love it and I enjoy it, not because it's my job or, or my career. And so um, – I used to get very worked up probably like a lot of people about missing workouts and, and not having time or working late one day and not being able to get in a run or a bike. And, and I've, I've found to, to, to embrace the, the changes uh, throughout the course of a day. And, uh, and so I, like I said, I have a rough idea of what I want to accomplish throughout the course of the week, but then I'm very flexible as to when it gets done, which probably isn't the, the, the ideal training setting, but it's the reality that I, that I live in based on 
you know, balancing a career and a, and a family. Let's talk career. What, what do you do for a living? So I'm a sales manager at a, a multi-industrial construction and service company. Difficult to, to sort of manage that and, and the training and the family on top. I mean, is it, is it a pretty high, high demanding, high demanding job? Yeah, it, 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 it it's a, it's definitely a, um, uh, a full-time career with uh, with travel now mixed in, um, which adds a, a another dimension um, to trying to get in workouts, and so you have to be all the more smarter. But um, you know, my my employer has been great. I've, I've been with with the company for 15 years, and uh, um, so I, I I have I have a good I have a good setup in a in a good environment to to kind of be able to balance everything. And it's incredible. I, I I know. I mean, my brother's an Iron Man, and he's he's corporate boy, and they hire a lot of people. and And often he'll say that uh, someone who who comes from a, an Iron Man sort of background or an ultra marathon background, it says a lot about their character and and the discipline it takes to do one of those things. So as much as it does take a lot of time, I think uh, employers are, are it, it could be a lot worse. You could have a gambling problem, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, t- I tell everyone I wish I liked golf more. I'd probably be golfing more than I'd be doing uh, Ironman. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's at the end of, at the end of the day, it's 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 a it's a hobby, and and everyone has hobbies, and and everyone's hobby is unique to to that individual. But um, I, I like it because it it it's my stress reliever, and so if I have a, a tough day at work or a stressful day at work, then uh, there's nothing better, in my opinion, than going out for a run and and kind of clearing my head. And so, I think it I think it all works at least for me. Where um, I think it makes me a better parent and and husband, and uh, probably makes me a better employee. And uh, and at the end of the day, as long as I can kind of manage and balance everything, then then it, it works. As far as what you're working on now, what what's your biggest struggle when it comes to triathlon? What are you what are you trying to improve or, or get better at? I, I think that I, I still need to, I think I still can improve on the bike. Um, so I've, I, I've put probably a, an emphasis around that. And then I, I would, I would tell you that the, the biggest thing I'm focused on is staying healthy with the run. Uh, I've had some lower leg injuries, probably overuse injuries. Um, and so being more diligent about, uh, about foam rolling and stretching and, uh, my wife is begging me to try yoga, and so I might try that in the future. So I think increasing flexibility so that I can stay healthy um, is, is going to be important as I continue on. What's been the biggest lesson that that Iron Man has taught you? Uh, the biggest lesson I would say is perseverance. I, um, you know, there's been a lot of times where where I've questioned whether or not I wanted to keep doing it, or been in races and questioned whether or not I wanted to continue doing it. As as I'm sure a lot of a lot of your listeners can equate to and, and the sense of accomplishment that, that at least I feel when I complete one, uh, kind of keeps me coming back. And, and when I entered Ironman Wisconsin back in 2013, I thought it was going to be a check the box and, and say that I did it and maybe even get the tattoo and, and move on. And, and I, I've, I've, I've been surprised at how big of an integral part of, of my life and quite honestly, my family's life and, um, embracing the, the, the sport and, and the, the lifestyle has been um, important and, and it, it's really helped me that I've had a, a wife that's, that's very supportive and, and, um, and allowed it, you know, for us to be on this journey together. Yeah, absolutely. As far as that first one, and, and that was going to be my next question. I'm glad you brought it back to that. If, if you could go back and talk to James Burke back then in the build up to your first Ironman, knowing what you know now, what, what would you tell yourself? Is there anything you do differently? 
I tell him to slow down on the bike. Uh, <laughs> I want to hear that story. Uh, I, 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 so it was, it was one of those races where it was, uh, the pros went off, I think 10 minutes before the amateurs and it was a mass start. And because I was a, a, a pretty strong swimmer, I got out and I ended up catching, uh, several pros and passing them <laughs> and, uh, and then watching them at about mile 80 pass me as I was going backwards. And, and I'll never forget the feeling of, of complete despair as I got off the bike and, and started thinking about how I had 26 miles to run and I wasn't going to be able to finish. And, um, so I, I learned some valuable lessons and, and it wasn't because I, I didn't study cause I had read as many books and, and listened to as many podcasts about how to pace right. And, uh, I think the gun went off and I got too competitive and kind of threw that out the door. It's probably a blessing in disguise. You learned that early on. Yeah. 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 And I also learned that, um, uh, I'll never forget it. They, the, the Coca-Cola that they serve on the course, uh, as I was running, as I was starting the run, I was thinking that I, I can't believe people actually drink that. And I think by like mile five, I was, I was chugging it at each aid station and it was like heaven on earth. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing. Other so things you learn. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. You you think of things like that. Uh, we've we've got a, a a spread that you put on sandwiches here, uh, and and the the Australians uh, know what I'm talking about. It's in Australia. It's called Vegemite. And we call it Marmite, and and I think the Brits call it Marmite as well. And I, if you had to hold a gun to my head and say at any time of the year, eat a Marmite sandwich, I'd tell you to pull the trigger because there's no ways I'm eating it. But it is the best thing during an Ironman run that I've ever eaten in my life. So uh, I know exactly. exactly exactly what you're talking about james what's what's left for you to achieve uh what what's what are some of the the sort of long-term goals and aspirations not just in ironman but uh on the big island too you talk about uh you you mentioned to me before we started recording that you you've got a plan in place and hopefully you head back there next year but what do you what do you want to achieve in the sport yeah i i i would love to 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 go to ironman 70.3 worlds uh in chattanooga this year and, and have a good showing and and maybe get on the podium there. Um, that that would that's probably my near term goal. And then certainly Ironman Florida this year to, to hopefully get back to Kona the, the following year uh, in 2018. I, I really it, it's hard for me to say that I want to be you know I want to win my age group or I want to go under nine or I, I, I just because every every year is so is so dependent on on the training and staying healthy and and what the conditions are. I I do believe that. I can get faster. And I, I, so I, I would say that, um, my goal for the big Island is, is to go down and, and, and get faster. And so if that's a uh, break in nine hours or, or, uh, drop in a minute, um, it all could kind of depends on what happens in the day, but I really don't think that I've put my best day together on that Island. Uh, I think I've had two really solid races and, and so, uh, you know, I've been pleased with both of them, but, um, you always walk away or at least I always do of, of the things that, that, could go different and could go better. And, and so I've got that list and, and it's just uh, working towards trying to, trying to tick those boxes. By the sounds of it, the plans to be around the sport for a, for a long, long time still. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's hard for me to say how long I want to do it, but I, I think it, I think the, the lifestyle and I, I don't view the training as a sacrifice. I view it as a part of, as a part of my lifestyle. And, and so because I've been able to kind of weave it into our everyday life and, uh, continue to, to volunteer and be, you know, coaching my kids, uh, soccer team and baseball team and, and, uh, continuing to, to, 
uh, work in my career. I, I could see it certainly being a part for, for a very long time. Um, and, you know, certainly injuries and, and, you know, life changes can derail that, but, uh, but I'm enjoying it right now. And, and, uh, you know, only five years into it, I, I still feel like a rookie. So I'm still learning. Well, I, I get the feeling that you're one of the guys I'm going to have to outlive if I ever want to get to Kona. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> James, it's been amazing catching up. I look forward to talking about uh, the individual disciplines with you, but we'll save that for another time. Thanks for your time today on the Kona Edge. All right, I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you very much for listening to that edition of the Cone Edge. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget, if you love these podcasts as much as I love doing them, I would really appreciate your support. We uh, we definitely uh, appreciate every sort of uh, gesture and, and, and sort of bit of help that we do get. And if you'd like to become a patron of the Cone Edge, all you have to do is head over to theconeedge.com forward slash support, and you can pledge your support there on a monthly basis. And literally every single dollar helps. So uh, you can uh, help out with uh, as little or as much as you like. And uh, it all adds up and helps us pay the bills. So if you wouldn't mind checking that out, that's thekonaedge.com forward slash support. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Kona Edge. Don't forget to connect with us on social media. Simply search for The Kona Edge.